And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live tonight, but barely on the other side of midnight. That really crazy time. Remember I used to say magical? Well, it's gotten beyond magic. It's now into crazy, 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 crazy land. Remember, I've been saying for quite a while now that it's really kind of like a paraphrase of that uh, um, movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. There's so much stuff coming at us from every direction that is not normal. And by normal, I mean the stuff that we grew up with, the stuff that we assume is kind of mainstream, the, the stuff that we're you know used to counting on. Well, obviously, if you've ever you know watched any news programs in the last several years, like almost a decade, nothing is normal. And that includes uh, the background operation for getting the show on the air. Uh, you would not believe what's going on here in the land of enchantment tonight. And uh, there's no reason to bore you with the details. But uh, we are kind of caught between a very uh, dense high to the north of us and a very low low to the south uh, west of us, the hurricane, Hurricane Hillary. And the winds here are picking up and... Uh, in New Mexico, with its fragile uh, infrastructure, anything can happen. So, let's assume everything is going to go well. We have an extraordinarily important program tonight. As you know, there are two unmanned missions preparing to try to land at the Lunar South Pole. One of them seems to be in good shape. The other one, well, we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Let me start tonight with the hurricane. Um, if you are new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. We have a section called Radio with Pictures. And the way you reach that is you simply click on tonight's banner, which says rather boldly, uh, let me get to it here. Um, Chandrayaan 3 is India's new moon landing mission, secretly being guided by the Enterprise Mission's profound discovery of the ancient lunar domes and that's the kind of backbone of our show tonight and of course added to the mix in the last few days the russians for the first time in 47 years almost half a century um, kind of reminds me of the night of apollo 11 they have launched another unmanned mission for the first time in almost 50 years and they're in lunar orbit, and as you will hear shortly, they have apparently encountered some kind of problem. So we'll get to that in a minute. What you want to do is you want to click on tonight's banner on the main page. That will take you to the guest page. Uh, right under it, you will see uh, uh, fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you to the section of what we call radio with pictures. Click uh, on my name. That will then take you to my items. We start off, obviously, with the hurricane. Now, for those of you who, with little memory, um, this hurricane, which is going to be degraded to probably a tropical storm by the time it reaches the United States, it's now off the coast of Mexico and spilling tremendous amounts of rain. The winds are on the order of uh, 110 miles an hour. It's a Category 2. Uh, it will sink to a Category 1 and then down to a tropical storm by tomorrow. But it will make landfall in the United States in Southern California with a tremendous uh, umbrella of rain that is going to uh, create all kinds of problems and issues and even catastrophic situations for a lot of people who are not used to this. Remember, California does not get typhoons or hurricanes. This is the first time in something like 84 years since September of 1939 that a storm with tropical force winds is going to make landfall in Southern California. In fact, the last time that it did this in 39, the Weather Bureau didn't even have categories for, you know, hurricanes or storms or tropical storms like this. 
because they didn't have aircraft, they didn't have satellites, they didn't have radar. I mean, they were really in the dark. So tonight we are bracing, not just in California, but across the entire southwest for very strong winds. I'm at uh, 6,500 feet, and the higher you are, the more the winds will blow, particularly if you have an opposition between a high and a low. A low is a low pressure area in the atmosphere. It obviously sucks in, pulls in surrounding atmosphere, trying to fill the low to bring the pressure up to an average. Whereas the high, which is like a higher pressure zone in the atmosphere, it will bleed off air moving toward the low. And in between, depending upon the distance, the winds, particularly where I am, can get very strong. So if we suddenly disappear tonight, you'll know why. I am praying that it will last at least till the end of the show. Tomorrow, of course, is up for grabs because the uh, storms, the, the, the two systems are getting closer, even though separated by hundreds of miles. That was the same situation, by the way, that obtained about a week and a half ago uh, off Hawaii, when there was a high pressure area to the northeast. There was a hurricane hundreds of miles away to the southwest. But the winds between the two, even at sea level on Maui, exceeded 80 miles an hour, which, of course, was uh, part of the severe problem that the Maui and Lahaina experienced to everyone's incredible tragedy, which, of course, takes us to item number two. Uh, the president and the first lady are going to be visiting Maui on Monday. They didn't bounce into an airplane right away because when the president travels, there's a huge Secret Service entourage. And obviously, when the president arrives, there's all kinds of security considerations. And so it does not help the local situation for the president to kind of drop in for a photo op. Uh, it's now been almost two weeks. They're in the recovery of bodies in Lahaina. There's over a thousand people still missing. The, the dead, the count of the dead has risen now officially to 114. Obviously, it's very slow because uh, confirmation of identity when, um, when something like this happens is very, very difficult. Um, our heart goes out to all the people of Hawaii and certainly of Maui and specifically, of course, of Lahaina. There are so many questions that are unanswered and maybe even now unanswerable. Uh, but the thing I wanted to point out, which will kind of precede what we're going to do tomorrow night, where because we're talking about Oppenheimer and this, our second program on that extraordinary development, the, uh, the you know, creation and implementation and, uh, um, uh, you know, use of nuclear weapons in World War II, there's a huge backstory, which, of course, involves, and you knew it would, hyperdimensional physics. So tomorrow night, we're going to talk about Maui for part of the show, and we're going to talk about Oppenheimer and the background and what is coming in the, in the form of the deployment and use of nuclear weapons in the 21st century. Of course, the hotspot now where everybody is watching very closely is the war going on in Ukraine and Putin's constant threat to use nuclear weapons. And we will have some very, I would say, unusual new data to apply to this entire situation tomorrow night, provided we can be on the air. That really is kind of up to Hillary and the fragile infrastructure here in, in New Mexico. So um, that kind of is a prelude to a much fuller uh, discussion tomorrow night. I found a very important and informed analysis, which is very factual, which is very data-driven. So we will post that on Radio of Pictures tomorrow night. It was too late tonight to get it up there. And the actual discussion will take place tomorrow night, so it will be well-timed. Item number three. As I said at the top of the show, um, the reason that we are doing the show tonight was initially because the, the uh, Chandrayaan-3 mission, 
the second attempt by the Indian space agency called ISRO to land an unmanned spacecraft on the moon is going to take place within a few days. The actual planned landing is next Wednesday on the 23rd. Well, a few days ago, uh, August 11th, Moscow time, August 10th, here in the United States, the Russians launched their first attempt to send an unmanned probe to the lunar surface in 47 years. Now, the Russian space agency is not, obviously because of almost 50 years elapsing, the same as it was you know, 47 years ago when the last Russian unmanned mission called Luna 25, 24 sorry, uh, set down safely on the moon and conducted rover operations and sample analysis. When I look back, I think of how primitive the technology was then. To give you an example, all the cameras of spacecraft back then were either uh, on Apollo, literally film cameras, photographic cameras, if you don't know what those are, Google is your friend. <laughs> and the electronic television images that were sent back to Earth, both by manned and unmanned spacecraft, literally consisted of tubes, not even chips, not even transistors, but the photographic sensing elements were what were called Viticon or image orthicon tubes. Uh, and they were scanned by electron beams in a vacuum uh, in, the, in the camera in the spacecraft. And they are what the Russians depended on, what we depended on, except, of course, for the film cameras uh, in the manned uh, lunar Apollo missions. Well, that, of course, all has changed. Now all the cameras are incredibly small, incredibly efficient, incredibly lightweight, and totally solid state. There is not a tube amongst them. Given that, take a look at that picture from the Chandrayaan spacecraft that was snapped a few hours ago and sent back to Earth. Um, does it look really crystal clear and sharp to you? No. Why isn't it sharp? Why were the previous images taken in uh, lunar orbit uh, which, of course, this was also, but this was taken by a different set of cameras. Apparently, uh, according to the uh, um, Indian Space Agency, this is one of two landing cameras that is going to be used after the uh, lander, the Chandrayaan-3 lander, uh, touches down safely on Wednesday, presuming, of course, everything goes okay. But in looking at the quality of this image, it just seems to me that there's there's something something weird and kind of wrong. And we'll get into that as the morning progresses. Now, if you look at item number four, right below that is the latest news from uh, um, the national news agencies. I think this is a digital trends story, which is an online news service devoted to um, technology, high technology, uh, web stuff, digital stuff, and all that. Apparently, this afternoon, at some point, our time, the Luna 25 spacecraft currently orbiting the moon prior to descending to the South Pole, uh, after sending some images, there's one there visible as the linking image for the uh, number four item, it suffered some kind of technical glitch that does not bode well. In fact, some commentators are saying that if it had been minor, uh, the Russians probably wouldn't even have mentioned it. But apparently it was something in the computer in the sequencing as the spacecraft was preparing, obviously running through a computer program, uh, to land on Monday. And uh, they've had a glitch. They've announced that. There is no further word. When you read that uh, news item, you'll see that there's an awful lot of uh, uh, unknowns. Um, the spacecraft apparently is still safe in lunar orbit, but if there's a problem with disconnecting from the uh, uh, booster that brought them to the moon, 
if there's a problem with the landing software, if there's a problem with the navigation uh, in, in the computer, which will allow the uh, retro rocket burn that will lower them from their low lunar orbit down to the surface, all of that is an unknown at the moment. So all we can say tonight with certitude is that the Indian mission seems to be going according to plan. But the Russian mission has suffered some kind of technical glitch. And we know of no further information. By the way, there's been a set of stories out there that this is an example. The Russians launching their spacecraft uh, to the moon despite the war, despite the Western sanctions, despite the real freezing of uh, high technology chips and other uh, sophisticated technological, you know, gadgetry and, uh, uh, you know, material uh, because of the war. And I just want to remind people that this Luna 25 mission was planned for years ago. It had another name, Luna Globe, I believe, uh, before they changed the name to be consistent with the Lunar 24 history. And so regardless of what happens with this spacecraft, the chips and all the other appurtenances for a sophisticated robot landing under computer control on the moon uh, under the Russian uh, banner has nothing to do with the war, nothing to do with the sanctions. All of the equipment was purchased and assembled literally years ago. And so what the Russians did is obviously complete the final assembly and test with stores already in hand. So there is really no uh, connection between the current Luna 25 effort and the uh, sanctions against uh, Putin for the war. With that out of the way, let me now go into some depth um, on the part of why we're doing this show tonight. So uh, tell you what, before we do that, let me introduce my my cast because I think we're going to want to have what is an open and extraordinarily spirited discussion. Tonight we have Andrew Curry with us, who of course is a professional artist. He does uh, artwork for films, he does storyboards for commercials, he does movies, uh, he's got a, a diploma in graphic design and illustration, and the way we got into the conversation years ago discussing Alan Bean's artwork, he has a master's in art therapy. So without further ado, Andrew, are you with us? Andrew Curry, unmuting helps. Okay, I don't think we have Andrew with us. Uh, we've got Ruggiero Kahlo, who is with us from um, England. It's the wee hours of the pre-dawn darkness in Britain right now. Um, he has a very extensive background in medical technology, but he's also a very keen artist. He's an athlete. Um, he is a wide-ranging generalist, like uh, uh, a lot of us uh, here happen to be. And he is, uh, I believe, on the line. Ruggiero, are you with us? Good morning, Richard. Can you hear me? Good morning. Yes, Good I morning, hear everyone. you. I hear you five by five, as they used to say in the old radio biz. Awesome. I think I fixed my technical glitches from uh, when I was on the show before. Okay. So. Um, do we have uh, Do we have Ron with us? Keith? We're going to kind of play things loosey-goosey tonight. Do we have Ron with us? Okay. He's, uh, Keith just told me in the Skype chat that... Uh, We'll have Ron uh, shortly. Uh, and I don't think Robert Morningstar is with us. Um, do we have Holger Eisenberg with us? I'm here, yes. Holger, ah. Yeah. Okay, I'm clicking on your... Unfortunately, far, far to the west from Stormy Hillary in a safe location. <laughs> Well, you're up north, aren't you? You're in in the Bay yeah, Area. North, northwest, yeah, northwest yeah, in yeah. The, on the Pacific. Coast. No, no, no. By the time it gets close to you, it's going to be rain showers. Um, actually, because the way weather moves, you know, west to east, 
uh, we're going to get, Arizona's going to get, Nevada's going to get. It's even going to stretch up in terms of heavy rains into Utah and Wyoming and Montana, if you can believe the extraordinary uh, jet stream track which will take this storm north. Um, I do not have in front of me a bio for you, so let's do something different. Why don't you tell our audience, which consists of a lot of new people, how did you wind up getting into imaging and uh, how did you wind up being one of the world's experts on the colors of the planet Mars and other imagery from various space agencies? Yeah, that story is still ongoing. I'm, I'm still working, improving the uh, color calibration of Mars images. Uh, you can see it on my Twitter account and on the website at Ario Info on Twitter, where I'm posting current images from the Perseverance rover and Ingenuity helicopter and working on showing them in true color in in a colorization like you would see yourself in when standing on the surface. So you've been and very, I'm, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing the same methodology there uh, like you would do as a professional photographer or amateur photographer when developing uh, raw digital images. And I just applied or used actually standard software now on the NASA raw images we fortunately can receive from those missions uh, in public. And the results are surprising. The results are surprising in what way? They are showing crisp colors, blue sky, blue to white sky, earth-like colors on the ground, and at least not the blurry, low contrast uh, visualize, visualize you might have seen years ago. So before you got in, in interested and involved in space imaging, what had you done before? I'm, that is still only hobby, so not professional. Uh, I'm still working at a software company in Silicon Valley and in a completely independent field. Uh, but yeah, not, not completely independent, but in a way independent. The use cases are different. But, uh, I'm working as software engineer, so I'm applying some of the professional work I'm doing in problem solving also on the, on the scientific mass data. And that helps to have a bit kind of different point of view from the more engineering perspective, not expecting any specific scientific results there, just looking what the data can provide. What was the first thing about NASA that kind of got you intrigued with the whole problem of properly balanced color? The first about uh, yeah, images, of course, uh, the mysterious pyramids or the face on Mars decades ago, and about color that was uh, that was uh, yeah from the Viking lander mission, which that was, was back before in 19... my time actually, 1976, yeah. exactly up yeah. to the 1980s. But that was before my time. But I rediscovered those images on the internet in the late 1990s, where they became available with direct access and at that time uh, the computing power at home became in the way accessible that you can process those images because at that time they were quite large compared to the standards you used on the on the web at that time and I just tried it out what is possible there what you can do with the technology there hmm well the whole field of citizen science given the tools now at our disposal is really, you know, astonishing. All it takes is the right creative person with the right technical background and the tools that are available in the commercial market are essentially equivalent to what NASA had, what, maybe what, 10 years ago, even like five years ago. That was, uh, yeah, back, back then in the late 90s, uh, the, the image processing NASA used in the, during the missions actually in the 1970s, it were computers which only existed maybe uh, in 10 instances in the United States. So only 10 machines were capable. And then in the, in the 90s, they became uh, 
available in every household almost and now we have uh, capabilities uh, hundredfold in the in the data sizes you can process at home so we can process gigabytes of image sizes which wasn't mm. possible even at nasa at vixen okay i believe that ron gerbrun who is our resident generalist has joined us ron are you there uh, yes, I'm here. Super. Well, yes, I'm here. Are you plugging things in? <laughs> uh, I was. I just got. Uh, I did a. I did a lefty righty thing there, and, and uh, well, I turned off the headphones before I spoke into them instead of the other way around. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. Well, you, well, you sound crystal clear. Uh, since you're the only one of us that's kind of in harm's way tonight, what's going on around you in terms of the approaching hurricane? Oh, cats and dogs sheltering together and uh, <laughs> uh, fly, uh, birds falling out of the sky. Uh, oh, come the, uh, on. Well, absolutely, there's absolutely nothing happening. The crickets are happy. The uh, birds, which uh, there's a flock of parrots that came by. And if you ever heard what parrots say, uh, the noises they make when they're not uh, saying Polly wants a cracker, uh, it's it's pretty awful. <laughs> but that's about that's there's nothing. Uh, the storm is due here uh, late tomorrow, sometime. Okay. Now I've heard and I've heard that 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 timeline is kind of accelerated because it's uh, it's moving faster now. It's moving almost. 18 miles an hour it was down at 13 and each hour you know there's extra miles so it's closing the distance what i'm curious about is it has lots of rain bands some of which are stretching as far as arizona and even southern new mexico already but you have no rain yeah. uh not here yeah not a drop but um so you're the, what northeast of san diego yeah, yeah, about uh, 25, 30 miles north of San Diego, inland about, you know, 12, 15 miles. Well, you're not uh, far from Mount Palomar. Yeah, well, it's further away than San Diego is, but it, yeah, of course I'm over that way. But um, the um, if people really need to look these things up, there's a place called Escondido, which is named after its original inhabitants, which were literally stagecoach robbers that hid out there back in the uh, days of stagecoaches. <laughs> well, and uh, it means hidden in Spanish. It's not hidden now. I, I live near there. It's Anyway, yes, everybody's making jokes about the oncoming biblical deluge because the, the news is making it sound a lot more dire for us than it is. In the mountains and the foothills, uh, they're going to get some serious rain. But I thought that the the lady from the National Weather Service that was on the radio this afternoon was actually making quite good sense. She said those threads of rain that you see in the radar, uh, those rain bands, um, tendrils, whatever you want to call them, are moving at uh, different speeds, and uh, they uh, so it's kind of crawling up the uh, up the landscape, okay. and. Uh, it's uh yeah when it does start having effects tomorrow evening uh you'll hear about it but what we're looking at is and i hope people that have ever experienced rain are listening uh yeah we might get uh two inches of rain and that's not going on for four or five hours i mean i have been okay we are at the bottom of the hour ron ron yeah stay high and dry okay, we'll back to you in a couple of minutes you're on the other yep. side of midnight, everyone. Uh, some of our guests have been assembled, not everyone. So we'll find out who can join us as we move through the morning. Again, we're talking about the imminent landing, the unmanned landing of two competing nations to become the, the first to successfully land a robotic spacecraft at the South Pole, well, near the South Pole, South Pole on the moon is as you know, extensive as South Pole is here on Earth in terms of illusions. So not too far from, let me say that. But the difference is the South Poles and the North Pole of the moon is a radically different environment than where we have ever landed before, us or the Chinese or the Russians. 
So hold that thought. We'll come back and explain why. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And welcome back to Saturday Night Edition, August 19th of The Other Side of Midnight. I'm understanding that we have some technical issues that um, uh, some of you may not be hearing either promos or music at the breaks. I'm not quite sure why. We've had uh, very bizarre technical issues here all evening. I'm uh, sometimes, you know, one wishes for the old days when all you did was sit in the studio and look for the engineer to point at you and say, you're on. Okay, so let's let's go back to uh, Ron. Ron, um, you've been watching what the Russians and the Indians are up to. What is your response to the potential um, issues with the uh, Russian uh, mission? I'm hearing well, lots I of... I wish I knew... Go oh, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I stepped on you. Uh, the uh, I'm not sure yet what's going on with the Russian thing. You, you pointed out, you pointed out the important parts that they uh, they put it together from stuff that was sitting on the shelf and hopefully in a in a dry dark place. Uh, and well, normally the procedure is, and NASA has done this for years, or so NASA has that if the spacecraft is in assembly and something is wrong and they have to hold the the, uh, the launch for another window, they put right. it in what's called bonded storage, which is air-conditioned, dehumidified, you know, like uh, inert gas, nitrogen, or sometimes helium or whatever. So there's no change in the, in the status of the spacecraft while they're waiting to fix whatever subsystem needs to be replaced or modified or whatever. Till they can, you know, re- resume assembling the spacecraft. So it, it's not like it was sitting on a used car lot for, you know, five years or whatever. These things are right. treated like incredible, precious jewels, and they are, frankly, you know, much more pricey, you know, in terms of per pound than any diamonds or any, you know, gold cufflinks or whatever you can imagine. So, no, the fact that it... Uh, uh, was sitting in, in bonded storage, you know, before anything is done, before a spacecraft is launched, obviously it's thoroughly checked from top to bottom. And and that does not require 
uh, as much input from outside sources as assembling a spacecraft from brand new hardware would would entail. So I'm frankly suspecting, as a colleague of mine said several days ago, we were having this very spirited discussion as to why nobody's been able to land safely on the moon, you know, since, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and that is that uh, uh, I'm, I'm voting for the glass that all the new players don't know there's glass in the way and they're going to smash into it on the way down like the Israeli mission which I was able to watch very closely because we had a source literally connected to the mission that was feeding us data you know kind of over the transom as everything unfolded um, and then of course the Indians with uh, Chandrayaan 2 back in 2019 where they were successful right up until within seconds of landing and then everything went to hell in a handbasket. And now we have the Russians in orbit, not even trying to land, and they're having problems with the computer program that they were checking out that will initiate the descent burn, that will monitor the actual landing. And uh, this individual, who will remain nameless, when they had to choose between two options you know my domes of glass which unbeknownst these missions are running into because it's not supposed to be there and the other option was sabotage this individual chose sabotage for all these disparate totally unconnected different national missions and even private enterprise commercial missions like the recent Japanese mission that, uh, although it was not sponsored by the Japanese government, it was a Japanese uh, corporation, and they crashed just before they were landing. So I, I, I really don't think, even amongst people that we talk to at great length, that this idea of a global hazy remnant dome of shards of glass with bigger clusters here and there depending upon the geometry and the architecture of the original and how much mass is left after being whittled down by literally millions of years of, of micrometeorite bombardment. I don't really think that anybody really gets the idea that it's this environmental situation which is dooming everybody who tries to land on the moon now the except uh, the hang on hang on the exception tonight mm -hmm. is of course the russians because preparing to land in lunar orbit is not the same as actually landing and their problems seem to have struck them in the final stage of their preparation for descent which indicates to me either a hardware problem or a software problem, you were going to say? I was going to say that uh, this is one of the reasons that I always mutter that all <laughs> data can matter. Uh, I, do now, you wait, remember the, the, the what? The what? That all data can matter. I'm going to bring another item in Well, here. of course all I'm data matters. Sure. I'm not sure about the sabotage, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm not the, either. Uh, I'm just telling yeah, you, the, I'm being a reporter telling you what someone yeah. very well connected, a quote, generalist expert, viewing this entire situation and all the programs we have done on the domes over the last couple, three years, their conclusion is not the domes, it's sabotage, because frankly, I don't think they can grasp the idea of this extraordinary dome reality. Go ahead. Well, that's that's probably true and that's why they would opt for anything other than that as an option in other words they it was probably out of consideration right at the beginning even if they'd say otherwise but uh, the as far as that goes the the uh conspiracy theory part uh the indians uh you know uh had problems and that video that i sent around and i know this is unkind because it's not linked there or anything but it's the one that i sent around a couple of weeks ago that I found from some Indian uh, devotee of space things and I think uh, that there's a little clip uh, of exactly how 
the last their last attempt at a lunar lander failed. And the bottom line seemed to be that they had given it preset based on their best estimates and their best observations and every data they could get, every bit of data they could get from everybody else. They had plotted it out down to the practically the nanosecond so that the orbiter and the uh, other parts of it didn't have to make any decisions uh, independently. It would just do that at the right time. And that what seemed to be part of what screwed them up. Now, the Russians build very robust space gear, at least they always have. Uh, Got to give them that. Uh, look at how many astronauts they've run up and down, but the, um, safely. But uh, in, the case of, in the case of this, yeah, it could, a part could have gone stale. That can happen. But uh, it's probable they didn't account for something because it's the same point. It's the the separation, the <clears throat> breakaway, as you might say, of the uh, lander from the orbital thing. They did the exact same thing as the Indians. You know, the, the craft gets there, and then there's a separation, and the part that's going to land on the surface is, uh, descended, is descends to a lower altitude from which it will do its um, drop to the ground. Mm -hmm. And... The Russians, as far as I saw uh, from the information we got, they were doing the exact same thing. They get there, then they separate the two items. The one that's going to land goes down to a lower orbit to get ready to do that. And uh, lo and behold, they run into a problem at the same point. Well, so not, no, 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 wait, wait. no, not exactly, because apparently the problem with the Russians occurred when they were preparing to separate the spacecraft. They, they said something about they're being very very loose and ambiguous and general and not telling us anything, really. So it's not about separating, and they're 60 miles high, so they're in a safe orbit. Um, the, the Indians, back in 2019, they separated successfully. Their crash literally came within seconds of touching down when they were literally less than a mile above the surface. So the problems are not the same. And, you know, the one thing that, that I think you might have uh, is that the, uh, the, the checkout for Luna 25 after sitting in, as I said, bonded storage um, may not have been as thorough uh, or covered everything as it should have. But again, the Russians were able to carry this out decades ago with, with tube technology. You know, it, it, it's just astonishing how much better the, 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 the physics of spaceflight hardware has become. And the better it gets, the worse the track record of trying to use it to land on the moon, which is the simplest possible Newtonian thing. If you don't take into account there's some kind of obstruction between you and the ground, you know, the moon is, it, we know exactly where it is, we know how fast it rotates, we know it's airless, it's a vacuum. You know, the maps have been published for decades down to the, you know, almost meter. So all this problem of landing, when, when you see the official explanations, they make it sound much harder than it really is. So I'm looking at the X factor, which is either they don't know what's in the way and they keep hitting chunks of glass, or they do know what's in the way. They try to get around them, and they're not very successful, which is why the current Indian mission, which is carrying an instrument never before carried into lunar orbit, I think, all other things being equal, it's going to make for an, a successful Indian landing. At least hmm. we can hope. And as we go through the morning, we'll get into the details, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in more detail. I just want to add one tiny thing. I, the fact that they both were at the same orbital height uh, when they ran into problems, I, I don't see it terribly significant that it happened right away with the, uh, or at a different point in the process of separation for the Indians than for the Russians. It's, I think it's the location. They were at that height. Now, 
No, 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 no. The Indians lost their Chandrayaan two literally less than a mile up. Yeah, they thought everything was fine, but remember, their stuff was all pre-recorded, as it were. It was not responding to the circumstances much, much less than you would expect from the. Well, everything is pre-recorded. The There's a 1.5 second light speed delay between Earth and Moon, so you can't control it in real time from Earth. It's all onboard computers, sensor loops like radar or lasers. Um, it turns out the Japanese commercial mission that failed. Their mm -hmm. terminal descent, the the sensors that were going to indicate, you know, when they fired the rockets and when they had to hover and when they turn off the engines was all driven by a laser landing system. And what do we know absolutely about lasers and glass? If you beam lasers at glass, you're going to get incredible reflections and scattering and echoes you know, bouncing around until the signal is too weak, which means you might think you're further from the moon than you are. And you might, if you're the computer, take the input, which is faulty because it's not accounting for the glass and you will literally run out of fuel above the surface. And that's what the Japanese appear to have done. Their computer got an input that said they were higher than they were <clears throat> and the engines kept firing and they ran out of fuel and they crashed the last few hundred feet. At least that's the, that's the story that we're getting about uh, why they, they were not successful in touchdown. Of course, the official explanation, <clears throat> excuse me, does not mention glass at all. No, but it's plausible as, as stated, you know, they, all, the, all the T's get crossed. Uh, I'm just curious, 60 miles is too high for a dome. I'm not saying there's a dome. No, 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 yeah, no, the, no, 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 no. How did the glass get there? And it's always the no, same no. Place. They're in a vacuum. The the yeah. parking orbit is 60 miles, is 40 miles above the highest extent of the dome we've measured, which is around 20. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, yeah, no, they cannot have run into anything at 60 mile altitude. And they didn't say they had a mechanical problem. They said no. something in the program was not working. That's a computer, you know, talk, speak. Holger, mm. please help me out here. I'm slowly starting to believe in uh, transparent uh, protective layers around the moon. With what? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Where, yeah. Where's my band? Where's my band when I need it? Maybe virtual transparent layers, protective layers. Yes, well, that was that was Neil Armstrong at the White House <laughs> in 1995 on the, I think it was the 25th anniversary of Apollo 11. And he spoke there at the podium in the White House in the uh, press room with uh, President Clinton standing over his left shoulder. And he talked about truth's protective layers. And, of course, those of us that have been following this very closely, we interpreted that to mean, you know, political layers, cover-ups, secret data, things that we were not being told by NASA. And in a, in a very elegant Emily Dickinson fashion, uh, Armstrong was trying to tell us the truth, but tell it slant. I don't think, maybe he was, he was referring to the damn glass domes. Wouldn't that be something? Or at least something uh, transparent, which is uh, more than just Newtonian gravity. Oh, oh, the actual the, the actual mass of the domes is minuscule compared to the uh, the mass of the moon. You know, think of cellophane compared to a a Mack truck. So. If you see the Chandrayaan 2 and the Japanese Hakuto Air, both failed around 2 to 5 kilometer altitude. Well, as, as, as in my model, if there are layers, multiple layers, and they're compartmented when they were brand new, you know, keep air in. So you lose air in one section, you don't lose air in the whole thing. And when you think of the amount of volume of a, of a, of a shell, with a bottom and a top, let's assume it's 20 miles thick, it's 15 million square miles, 
in terms of the area of the moon. Uh, volume would be then 20 miles deep. That gives you an incredible volume. That means that even if you have a major meteor strike and you've got a hole in the dome or domes, uh, you know, as big as the uh, Titanic itself, 800,000 feet across, the rate at which the air would leak out, it would take centuries for there to be a perceptible decrease in the air pressure underneath such a dome, given the scale. See, no one puts numbers to this stuff. Their eyes kind of glaze over at the magnitude of a technology that we can only dream about, because obviously nothing that we can envision, or I should say the mainstream can envision, uh, could possibly do what we are seeing in the data. But again, the Russians appear to have some kind of a computer problem. And that, to me, says that my friend who said it was all sabotage, in this case, they may actually be onto something because they were at a height and doing something so routine that they should have no problems. And the fact that it was in, in some internal computer uh, sequence of events for separation from the uh, booster rocket that put them into lunar orbit uh, about a week ago, that tells me that sabotage is potentially a problem. I also can see that Ron could be absolutely right and that when you, in Russia, compared to here, when you put something in bonded storage, uh, it's not the same. And so it could be simply a, a you know, a, basically a failed chip or a, or a module or something that really interfered with the uh, uh, program. And if that's it, there are workarounds for computer issues, right, Holger? I, uh, about the Russians, I, uh, I'm not sure if it was separation. Maybe it was just reorientation of the spacecraft. And because there, uh, there was a similar problem with uh, not Artemis, but with, uh, um, uh, with a, a small CubeSat lunar mission, which is uh, flying the um, lunar gateway orbit currently, right. and that has a problem with the Star Trek. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that is called the Capstone mission. And again, the they, th indeed. Yeah, they, yeah. they did not have problems in, in Earth orbit. They had problems en route to the moon. They solved them. They inserted successfully, but they're in a very high... A uh, very elliptical orbit that will match the future uh, lunar space station that NASA proposes to put in polar orbit around the moon in several years, probably three or four years, I think, which will be their, uh, the reason they call it gateway is because it will be the approach and departure point for missions to go down to the surface as part of uh, the Artemis you know, human landing program, which will not begin to attempt a, a human landing until 2025 at the earliest, probably now slipping to 2026 because I think of uh, some funding issues or maybe it's a technology issue. Uh, Say again. Uh, I was just snorting at the idea of, uh, of Artemis. I was going to mention it earlier. They had a lot of little glitch problems. Uh, before they did whatever it is that they actually achieved most recently. Well, you, you mean on, on, on the ground? Yeah, when they resurrected the project. You know, this is, well, well, it's been quietly on track for over a decade. It just took them long because they didn't have a lot of money. You know, and space flight is basically dependent on money. You know, no bucks, no buck rogers. So if you have a little money... It stretches it way out. If you have a lot of money, you can get a lot of things done in a short period of time. Uh, the reason Artemis has taken so long is because Congress has not funded NASA to the extent that previous administrations, including the um, Trump administration, had requested. But the, but the problems on the ground had to do with fueling, had nothing to do with the spacecraft. In fact, the Artemis One mission, as far as I can tell, was a resounding, stunning, stunning success. The only problem is they're not showing us any of the really incredible high-resolution imaging, and Holger has been on that. And since we're about uh, five minutes to the top of the hour, I'm going to hold his description of what he's found vis-a-vis -vis Artemis until we come back at the top of the hour. What I want to do is I want to highlight the fact that the Indians apparently discovered something 
uh, during their Chandrayaan-1 mission, which was back in 2009, which has set them up again in the conspiratorial someone does not want the Indians to successfully land model because they had an orbiter, Chandrayaan-1. By the way, Chandrayaan in Sanskrit means moon craft. Like, um, it, it's a variation on Vimana, which is an Indian uh, flying vehicle that has been very redolent in ancient Indian mythology, which, of course, a bunch of us over here think is really kind of uh, filtered history of a previous high-tech civilization to which India still preserves interesting documents and reportage. So way back in 2009, the Indians sent their first mission to the moon, consisting of an orbiter, which lasted uh, slightly less than they projected because of some temperature issues, but they got a lot of data. And then they had a little, uh, almost like a CubeSat, it was called a MIP. I forget what the um, acronym stands for. Uh, oh, Moon Impact Probe. That's what it stood for. And they basically ejected it from the orbiter, and it literally followed a curving trajectory down to the surface of the moon, and it deliberately crashed. But on the way down, it took all kinds of interesting readings magnetic fields, gas spectrometry, uh, some imaging, and the most bizarre thing about the Indian um, MIP mission, which was basically the, the whole thing lasted like uh, less than an hour from release in orbit <clears throat> to impact on the moon's surface, and they impacted somewhere near, I believe, the South Pole. I believe that was their destination. And on the way down, as they got closer to the moon, they began reading all kinds of molecules and constituents in a lunar atmosphere, which was on the order, get this, 100 times thicker, denser, than the incredibly non-dense atmosphere all around the moon measured by Apollo. Now, when you say lunar atmosphere, most people get the absolutely wrong idea because they think of something you could breathe, see. No, the lunar atmosphere is like a trillionth, give or take, of the Earth's atmosphere, even on its best day. But in this case, what the Indians measured and broadcast home before their spacecraft impacted as planned was an atmosphere which was 100 times denser than Apollo, which right there was really bizarre because given that the moon is basically an atmosphere of zero and exposed to space, the solar wind sweeps away any gases that might think of clinging to the moon, even in wispy trillionths uh, of an Earth atmosphere you know, percentage. And... Uh, that means that there's something else going on, and the something else going on, we're going to talk about when we return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And 
you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Thank you.